Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. I'm Bill Corey, sports editor of the Providence Journal. With me, as always, is the Red Sox beat writer, Bill Koch. Hey, Bill. Bill, how are we? Good, good. So uh, the Red Sox, if you haven't been paying attention, are 42-19. and 19. They have the best record in baseball. Came back from a 2-2 two and two, uh, series down in Houston. Uh, won on um, Tuesday night against Detroit. And, um, Bill, you were down in Houston, and uh, that series was... I guess entertaining is the word because it certainly looked like it had the makings of a disaster if you're a Red Sox fan, and then they kind of righted the ship. Obviously, a rematch of last year's American League Division Series, and, and it had a postseason feel to it. Uh, you're talking about two of the best teams in the American League. The Red Sox obviously playing very well. Uh, Houston, obviously, the defending world champions. Um, and when the Astros take the first two games, and they're up 3-1 to one in the third inning of the third game, if you're a Red Sox fan, you're thinking, okay, we could be in a little bit of trouble here. Yep. Houston manages to win this game. They've got Charlie Morton going on Sunday uh, in the series finale. He's 7-0, and had allowed nine earned runs and seven home starts. You're thinking this is really not good. Uh, but for the Red Sox to turn that game around on Saturday and then really hit Morton around on Sunday and, and earn a split, I think it was significant uh, from a psychological standpoint. I know a couple of the players uh, – you know, said as much in the clubhouse after the game. Brock Holt said, you know, it was big for us to get a split here after what happened last year. And, and I, I think it's significant for them. And I think it spoke uh, very highly of both um, David Price and, and Rick Porcello uh, because, uh, you know, as, as you said, they lost the first two games. Game two was Chris Sale, who you always feel good about when he takes them out. And he got, he got hit around pretty good. And, uh, you know, David Price, we know all the drama with Price this year, certainly had a, a solid outing. Um, and then Porcello bounced, uh, well, I shouldn't say bounced back because he's been solid all year, but he had another solid outing in, in game four. So I think um, it speaks highly of the, of the pitching staff. Um, you've got um, those two guys who uh, really just saved that series. Yeah, David Price in particular, uh, after his previous start against the Blue Jays, he sarcastically called himself soft, uh, <laughs> said he was the softest player in the clubhouse. Right. Uh, you know, that's just his his running sort of uncomfortable uh, give and take with the Boston media, but a pitcher who was soft, staring at a 3-1 deficit in the third inning with the biggest crowd of the weekend on hand at Minute Maid Park, David Price could have turtled right there if, if he really was a soft guy. Uh, and all he did was retire the last 11 men he faced and, and gave Boston's bats a chance to wake up. The next night, Rick Porcello gives up two hits into the seventh inning before he hits the wall, um, You know, and, and the offense staked him to a nice lead early. Uh, but what he was able to do with it going forward, not giving any runs back uh, and turning it over to the bullpen with a comfortable margin, it was a very solid start for him. Uh, you know, and important because his last couple had had been a little difficult. So a big spot for those two guys, and I think you would have to say that they delivered. Sure, no, absolutely. You know, I think that, um, you know, obviously with the Red Sox having the record that they have, they're a game up uh, in the East against the Yankees. A, sort of a constant criticism and, and somewhat... Uh, you know, accurate is, you know, well, they haven't played a lot of good teams. Well, you know, you play the schedule that, that you're handed, and you're right, the AL East, besides the Yankees, doesn't offer much competition this year. Um, so that might help inflate that, that record a little bit. But Houston is obviously the real deal, and to come out of there with a split after those two 
you know, uh, first game, uh, first losses there, uh, I think speaks speaks well of this team moving forward. Well, let's highlight a couple series. They played the Yankees six times. They're mm-hmm. three and three. Right. They won two at home and one on the road. They played Houston four times, all road games. They're two and two. So they're 500 against two of the best teams in the American League. They haven't played Cleveland yet. Uh, they're going to go on the road to Seattle. Um, next week, after they go to Baltimore, it's going to be part of a, a three-city swing. Surprising Seattle. Surprising right. Seattle, who who's playing very well in the West. Right. Um, you know, so the other measuring stick series coming up here will be Cleveland and Seattle, but against New York and, and Houston, they've acquitted themselves just fine. Sure, sure, and obviously they've done um, <clears throat> they've done uh, some of this as of late without. Uh, Mookie Betts in the lineup, and as of uh, even more recently, without Dustin Pedroia in the lineup. What can you tell us about those two guys who are both currently on the DL? Uh, Mookie Betts has an abdominal strain. It's something that's bothered him probably for the last week. He was scratched uh, from the series finale against the Braves at home. Um, you know, They thought it was going to be a one- or two-day thing. They're being very cautious with him because the nature of abdominal strains is if it turns into something more serious like a tear, mm. he could be out for the season. Right. And, and that's not what they want. I know he hit off a tee on Tuesday. He's scheduled to progress to soft toss at some point, potentially batting practice inside. Uh, those would be the steps that they would need him to take before they put him back on the field. For Pedroia, he visited uh, his surgeon in New York on Tuesday and got really good news. Uh, had a full workup. MRI showed that his left knee soreness had nothing to do with the surgery he had in the off season. It's just a bit of inflammation. It's something that they can treat with rest and uh, you know with with whatever they do behind the scenes. Uh, and maybe something that he's going to have to push through a little bit. Stephen Wright had a similar surgery in the offseason. Uh, Wright and Pedroia ha- have become fast friends here in the clubhouse over this. I know Wright has been giving him advice, and, and Pedroia has been seeking Wright out for that advice. And you know, according to what Wright has said, he felt worse throughout his rehab than Pedroia did at any point. Hmm. And he's back on the mound pitching. Pitching well. Uh, yeah, and basically what he said to Pedroia is, look, this is normal. Right. Don't be afraid. Just take the treatment as they give it to you, and eventually you'll get over this and you'll be back out there. So I think, you know, Alex Cora alluded to this uh, you know, last night postgame, Tuesday night, that just getting that sort of reassurance from the doctor that it's not anything serious might be something that frees Pedroia's mind up a little bit here and he can progress into his rehab. Right, right. Uh, well, somebody else who is... Uh who is in the lineup and who is not hurt has been J.D. Martinez, who has been putting together, I don't know if you can do a quiet <laughs> monster year, but he, he his year has certainly exceeded my expectations. Uh, he's played in 58 games. I was looking at the numbers this morning, tied for most on the team. He's hitting 318. He's got 20 homers, 52 RBIs. He leads the American League in a few uh, categories. or tied in some... Um, what was your take on J.D. Martinez when they signed him, and how do you think um, he's done? Has he exceeded your expectations? He's truly a middle-of-the-order hitter. Uh, yeah, I was a little skeptical only because the track record isn't that long. It's only two or three seasons, really. Um, you got to remember, this was a guy who got released by Houston in tw- as recently as 2014. Right, and they kept reminding us of that during the, during the broadcast right. in the recent series. Sure. You know, and, and a player in his mid-20s, who gets released isn't necessarily going to have a renaissance like this. That usually means you're done. Yeah. Uh, if you're in your early 30s and you get released, it's 
you know, it's, it's a little more indicator that maybe someone can pick you up. You know, maybe you've had a little longer track record of success and someone will pick you up and you might be able to have sort of a resurgence. Mm -hmm. In Martinez's case, you know, he had two or three big years between Detroit and, you know, at the end of last season with Arizona. Arizona, But you wonder what's going to happen when he comes to Boston and it's a big market and, you know, the microscope is on him and the contract and everything else. What we've found is that this is just a very even-keeled, detail-oriented guy who's very disciplined with his approach. Uh, you know, he's, he's very, very serious about his preparation in terms of his notes on opposing pitchers, in terms of studying video, um, you know, in terms of just analyzing, breaking down his own swing. Um, you know, and he said Tuesday night after the game, he, he just said, I'm not going to change my approach. I'm just going to go up there and try to drive the ball up the middle and the right center and be me. And I think he's just he's managed to do what so many baseball players talk about, which is keep the game simple. You know, pitchers say just throw out, go out, throw quality strikes. Hitters say just hit pitches that are in the strike zone. It sounds real easy. Right. A lot of guys lose track of it because you're, the people you're playing against are, are the best in the world. Uh, but the fact that he has managed to do that under the microscope in Boston, it, it really speaks volumes about the character of this guy, not just his talent. And I think that part of that feeds into what Alex Cora was trying to bring to the Red Sox in his whole approach of, you know, hunt, as he likes to say, hunting strikes. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes those strikes are thrown early in the count. Sometimes they're late in the count. And he wasn't somebody who... Um, was telling everyone, hey, you know, you need to work the count and, and, and you know, go 3-2 uh, on every at-bat. He, you know, if you see a good pitch, hit it, and they have been this year. No, and, and you know, in Martinez's case, we've seen him attack first pitch, right. you know, work deeper counts. Uh, you know, Tuesday night his home run was on a 3-2 pitch, right. uh, six pitch of the at-bat. Um, you know, got a fastball out over the plate and knocked it off the light tower in left center field. It was uh, quite the majestic shot. Uh, you know, but you're, you're seeing him, you know, just a 30-year-old player who is right squarely in the middle of his physical prime. Uh, and, and this is what it looks like when elite talent and work ethic sort of come together. And, and uh, you know, th- this is what you're seeing now through sure, 60 games. Sure. And if you're a Red Sox fan, hopefully you, uh, you get Mookie Betts back soon. And, uh, you know, because those two guys have certainly helped carry this offense. Mm. But there have been others. And, and let's take a minute here and take a sneak peek at perhaps some all-stars on the Red Sox this year. We're, we're within roughly a month and a half well, voting or so. Ha- voting has opened, so yeah. we can have the discussion. Okay. Absolutely. And, and uh, remind me, the all-star game is down in Washington this year? It is in Washington. Uh, third week of July. It should be nice and cool, uh, <laughs> you know, for anyone who's looking to make the right. trip. Um, you know, but it's great to have the all-star game in a big city, and, and especially in East Coast City, because if you're a Red Sox fan and they have multiple representatives, it's a very easy trip to make. Absolutely. Lots of uh, easy, cheap flights from, from Providence and from Boston to either BWI or, or the Washington airports. So I would think there'll be plenty of Red Sox fan representation, and, and it looks like there'll be plenty of Red Sox representation as well. You mm. know, I was taking a look at um, both batters and pitchers, and you know maybe we could hash this out a little bit, but I'm thinking certainly J.D. Martinez is going. Mm-hmm. I would think Mookie Betts will get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Andrew Benintendi has a strong shot of getting there. He's making a run here. Yeah, uh, and uh, I, I would say Bogarts is in the running as well. Also making a run. Um, and on the pitching side of things, uh, I think uh, Chris Sale is certainly a contender. I think uh, Craig Kimbrell certainly is. 
And, you know, Porcello and even Price probably are are in the vicinity. For Porcello certainly eight and two. He's got a three point five ERA. I think he's I think he's around there. Uh yeah, let's let's pump the brakes on Price. <laughs> uh he's he's not gonna be an all star here. Uh unless he shoves over the next month. But I, I don't I don't necessarily anticipate him going out throwing eight scoreless innings five times in a row. That, that's probably what it would take. But if he does. <laughs> but if he does. Um, you know, but, but, but Porcello, certainly certainly, legit, on the, right? certainly on the pitching staff, you're, you're looking at Sale. Uh, he's averaging 12 strikeouts per nine. The ERA is right at three. Uh, you know, the record being what it is, no one really looks at wins and losses right. anymore. It, it, it's not as important as, as it used to be. Um, you know, he's in range, certainly. Craig Kimbrell is certainly in range. The position players you're looking at, Betts and Martinez, if they're not there, there's certainly something wrong. Uh, the other contender who the Red Sox are starting to push a little bit now is Mitch Moreland, who, sitting here going into Wednesday night's game, has a 1,000 OPS. Um, you know, someone who has only been a full-time player for you know a couple weeks here since the Red Sox released Stanley Ramirez, but he has shown no signs of slowing down. Uh, you know, his numbers compare favorably with elite AL first baseman, just about anyone that you would put up there. Um, you know, and you wonder if he continues this for a month, whether or not he's going to merit uh, consideration. Sure, sure. I mean, his numbers have been solid, sitting uh, 310. He's got uh, 30 RBIs, 10 home runs, and as, as we know, he hasn't exactly been playing full-time all season long, and now he's getting... Um, uh, lots of reps out there, and obviously defensively, he's he's certainly an upgrade over what what the Red Sox had previous. No, it really looks like they made a good decision here to to free up those bats. Now, you know, people will wonder, well, what's going to happen when they face left-handed pitching, and you know, JD Martinez is in the outfield, and what do they do with the DH? For now, it's working. You're 42 and 19, and and I know, you know, they've spoken to uh, you know the roster's versatility without Hanley Ramirez, the fact that now they have guys who can play multiple positions. You know, obviously this was a business decision as well. They were not going to pay him $22 million in 2019. They opted to go a different direction early in the season before this turned into a saga over the summer. Uh, you know, Mitch Moreland is the absolute opposite of <laughs> someone you could say brings drama to the clubhouse. Right. He's, uh, you know, soft-spoken, hard-working guy who just goes out there and plays every day. Uh, you know, and, and certainly looks like a good fit for this roster. Well, I think right now it still looks like, um, you know, a, the, the whole Hanley thing made sense. I, I think if either the Betts injury or even to some degree Pedroia injury escalates into something uh, long-standing, I think maybe there may be some critics out there saying, hey, you might have dumped him a little too soon. And but, rightly so. Yeah, but uh, so far, I think that, uh, you know, you can't you can't argue with the results. Certainly, Moreland has been doing more than his share. Uh, so if you take a look at the Sox here, um, this week we're going to see uh, a new pitcher take the mound for him, um, I believe, on Thursday. Thursday, correct. What do, what do we know about Jalen Beeks? Uh, Jalen Beeks, left-handed pitcher. Um, 24-year-old out of Arkansas, um, has been really good this year uh, at Pawtucket. Um, you know, through his 10 starts, has 80 strikeouts in 56 and a third innings. Uh, opponents are only hitting 197 against him. Uh, you know, it, the pitch that has made big progress for him this year has been the cut fastball. Mm -hmm. he, he's really been able to, to get some command on that. Um, you know, otherwise, he's... 
if he walked down the street, you would have no idea Who that he, he was going to make his major league debut <laughs> on right. Thursday. Average-looking guy, about yeah. six feet tall, you know, probably 180 pounds. Um, you know, sort of youngish in the face. Um, you know, but a quality left-handed arm and a guy who you know Boston might have projected as someone who could pitch out of the bullpen at some point uh, because he was. Pretty much a, a two-pitch guy's fastball change-up guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, curveball isn't necessarily an out pitch for him, but this cut fastball that he has added has made him, you know, a difficult proposition for minor league hitters to face. And you know, if if you're looking to push the rotation back a full day and give them some rest, and you've put Drew Pomeranz on the DL, I think it's important for the Red Sox to reward their minor leaguers who have performed. I think they, they showed that they would do that right from the start of the year when they had Bobby Pointer and Marcus Walden on the roster in Tampa Bay for opening day. But that's that's the role we see of him, right? I mean, we don't think he's going to be knocking on the door to the rotation in a permanent way, especially with Stephen Wright and what he's shown as of late. Obviously, you've got Pomerantz on the on the DL, expecting he'd be back. Um, but you think that Jalen Beeks is that guy who's going to come up every now and then as needed for a spot start? Do you think he can help them in the bullpen? Well, I mean, certainly not in the immediate future. He's not going to be in the rotation. But you, know, you look at pending free agency for Porcello, for Pomeranz, for Sale. Uh, you know, it's important to see what this guy has right now because the, the best way to get your salary situation under control, and, and the Red Sox in this case are in a scenario where it's cost prohibitive for them to make a move. They're at $233 million this year. They do not want to pay the luxury tax going forward. Right. They insist they don't have the money to do that, uh, you know, not like the Yankees would, certainly not like the Dodgers would. Um, you know, so the best way to get that under control is to produce your own young talent um, you know, because you're not paying them very much uh, early in their careers. And in Jalen Beeks' case, you're starting his service clock now. That means you would have him through 2024. Mm. Um, you know, that's a long time. He'll be 30 years old by then. Uh, you get the best out of him, and then potentially he could leave in free agency or you could retain him. But it's important to bring players through, and, and especially, you know, with the draft going on right now, you look at the Red Sox roster. Um, it's about half players that they've drafted since, you know, Pedroia is, is the longest tenured. I think he was selected out of Arizona State in 04, 06, somewhere around there. Uh, 2004, actually, I think it was. Um, you know, so it is important to to bring those guys through, and and I'll be very interested to see how Beeks performs on the big stage. You bring you bring up the draft. Obviously, the baseball draft is not something that's uh, looked upon as closely as the NFL draft, let's say, or even the NBA draft, because you know these guys that get drafted. Obviously, it's it's a much longer road until we see them in Fenway if they ever make it there. Right. Uh, but what was your takeaway from uh, from the first two days of the draft? Well, the first two days, uh, you know, the first day, obviously, the Red Sox went for a couple of high school bats. Uh, Tristan Casas is a, a big physical first baseman. Uh, out of South Florida. He's from the American Heritage School, which also produced Eric Hosmer, uh, mm-hmm. the former Royals first baseman who's now in San Diego. He counts Hosmer as one of his mentors. Uh, you know, said during last offseason that he's been to Hosmer's house. He's hit with him. He's talked about his career with him. Hosmer's really taken him under his wing and, and done him a solid in that way. Uh, you know, and the second player they took was Nick Decker, uh, who's a New Jersey outfielder. Uh, only the second New Jersey position player Selected in the first five rounds since Mike Trout wow. in 2009. Uh, so that gives you an idea of, of what they think of this young man. Uh, he's a University of Maryland commit. Uh, you know, Casas 
sounds open to the idea of signing with Boston. Uh, he's a University of Miami commit, but he made it clear throughout the process that uh, he wanted to start his professional career. Uh, you know, in Decker's case, uh, haven't spoken with him. Not certain what his intentions are. He has a million-dollar slot value uh, where he was taken. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one interesting thing that the Red Sox did do on the second day, with all eight of their picks, they took eight college players. Right. Uh, you know, And out of the last 12 guys that they put into the big leagues, 11 have been college players. Uh, the, the lone high school exception was Jamie Callahan, the right-hand relief pitcher, who went to the Mets in the Addison Reed trade mm-hmm. uh, and eventually made his major league debut with the Mets. Um, So in that way, selecting college players on the second day sort of gives them a little more immediate boost, they would hope. But, you know, the other thing in that group that you'd like to note is three of those college players who they selected were seniors, which means the Red Sox have the leverage in terms of signing them. They might be able to save some bonus money on those players and either allocate that to Casas, Mm -hmm. to Decker, or to someone who they select uh, on Wednesday, the third day of the draft. If it's a high school player who has a very firm commitment to a major college program, whether that be Vanderbilt or Oregon State or you know some other SEC or ACC power like a Clemson or a right. Florida State, you might be able to entice him with a couple extra $100,000 to forego college and start his career. and You might have yourself a steal in the 18th or 19th round. Um, you know, and, and now with you know sort of that limited bonus pool, uh, that MLB mandated bonus pool that you can pay out, it does make this a little bit of science. Uh, you know, you're not just selecting players and, and you know throwing money at them unlimited. Right. Um, right. You know, so a, a very interesting three days. You know, something that some people get excited about. I sort of keep a, a sort of you know even keel about it because. Like you said, it, takes it is forever. a long process. <laughs> right. It's not like the NFL where in the first round, if you don't draft an immediate starter, it's considered a fail. Absolutely, yeah, because you're expecting to see that guy on the field immediately, and that doesn't happen in, uh, in baseball. No. Uh, so we are uh, going to wrap this up here, but I should uh, just note here, if you look at the Red Sox schedule, uh, they should be racking up a few wins here in the next few series. They've got the Tigers in town, they're welcoming the White Sox, and then they're going to Baltimore, and... Um, you know, again, not their fault that they're playing uh, weaker teams, but um, this is this is what good teams do, right? They beat up on bad teams and hopefully hold their own against good teams, and they don't see another quote-unquote good team, I guess, until Seattle, the 14th. Um, so uh, I don't know. What do you think? What do you what do you think of the Red Sox moving forward in the next week or two? Is uh, are they should they just kind of keep? Keep it on cruise control or what? I mean, obviously they should sweep all three series. <laughs> right. I, I mean, you know, otherwise it's total failure, and Alex Cora should be fired, and, and all that stuff. I think we settle for uh, I think we settle for two and three, uh, two and one on most series. Right? You know, you, generally, realistically, what teams are looking to do is win series. Sure. So if that means they go six and three over the next nine, then that's basically what you're supposed to do. Right. Um, you know, if you manage a seven and two or an eight and one and a couple sweeps in there, then so be it. All the wins count equally. You're you're not going to be punished because you beat the White Sox. Uh, you know, it's, they they don't take. Uh, it's not like it's not like the NCAA where you're playing the RPI game right. uh, in basketball and you get extra credit for a road victory against the top twenty team. Uh, you know, all all these count equally. 
Well, one one good thing about all this, uh, to me anyway, if you are a uh, a Red Sox Yankees uh, series fan, mm. and who isn't, is that you know as you mentioned, I think we've only played. Uh, I think the Red Sox have only seen the Yankees six times six so times. far. Correct. And so uh, that means there's probably another uh, thirteen, another 13 or, to go. or so. That's right. That 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 will uh, take place. And I think the, the last, very last series of the season is against the Yankees too. So plenty of drama left in store in uh, 2018. Uh, Bill, thanks again. We will touch base uh, hopefully next week uh, for our next Twin Bills podcast. Sounds great, Bill. All right.